Support for Talking Art on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with John Shulman, a Rock Island native whose novel, Return from Siberia, was published earlier this year. Good morning, John. Good morning, Carolyn. Great to be with you. This book was prompted by a real-life discovery of a diary written by your maternal grandfather, Joseph Rakow. Tell us about how you came to find his diary and what it meant to you and your family to learn about his rather harrowing past. Well, you know, everybody wants to learn more about their ancestry, and I was just so fortunate to come across a book, a manuscript that was written by my grandfather over 100 years ago uh, at my mother's house. And uh, it was quite uh, an amazing document to not just see the words, but the pictures that were included of my grandfather, who was a bit of a mystery to all of us, particularly me, given the fact that he had died in the 50s before I was born. And we really didn't know that much about him. He was a bit of a legend. We'd heard of his exploits, but no great detail. So to uncover a, a literally a, a actual book that would take us through this journey was such a remarkable finding. The only challenge, of course, is it wasn't written in English. It was written in Yiddish, which was the, the language of Eastern European Jews. And so uh, just getting it translated became another adventure for me. Mm -hmm. Your grandfather, it, it starts, I believe, when he was um, around 15, and that was in the early 1900s, around 1903. And he was a, really a revolutionary in what was then Tsarist Russia. That's right. Uh, the Tsar Nicholas uh, II was in power, and uh, needless to say, they weren't happy with people who were talking revolution. And what was most interesting to me is my 15-year-old grandfather wasn't the real revolutionary in his family. It was his older sister um, and his uh, older brother, Max, who we find a lot of intrigue as we run through the story. But they were really the older revolutionaries. But it was Joseph who ended up taking the fall when when the police came to arrest for, um, you know, finding a revolutionary pamphlet. And the reason my my grandfather took the fall was because he wasn't the breadwinner. Uh, his father was was not well. And Max was really the guy who was bringing home the, the food to the table. And so uh, Max just raised his hand. I'm sorry. Just, uh, my grandfather, Joseph, raised his hand. And he said it was mine. And so he was uh, taken away. So it was just a, a, some of the sort of selfless, uh, courageous acts, just one of many as you go through this book, things that I learned that I had no idea of. Mm -hmm. And it's really quite extraordinary, extraordinary that he survived. He was shipped off to Siberia where he served a 10-year sentence and then somehow made his way back, uh, emigrated to the United States and ultimately was reunited with his family in Chicago. Yeah, I think, Carolyn, the most incredible part of the story is beyond just his the bleak, horrifying uh, experience of being a 15-year-old exiled to Siberia, uh, which just the words of that sound uh, terrible, but they were worse than what you could imagine of being in Siberia, away from your family, thousands and thousands of miles, not knowing if you're going to survive, not knowing if you'll ever see them again. 
But when he got out, and of course, we, we have the, um, the advantages today of modern technology of find your friend on your iPhone or GPS systems. Imagine being 25 years old at that time. You've lost touch with the world, and you have to try to find your family who are on the other side of the world in America. It's like a needle in a haystack. So part of the adventure of this story is his trying to find that needle as he adventures through Europe just prior to World War I, finds his way to America in New York as a classic uh, way that immigrants would arrive into um, New York Harbor, going through Ellis Island, seeing that incredible Statue of Liberty, and then just following clues to try to find his family who ultimately were in Chicago. <laughs> The, and one of the clues was a was a pearl earring. Was that was that a true part of the story that the pearl earring was separated from the other one, and he recognized it once he arrived in New York City? That that was not part of his actual manuscript. It was a story that I, I was I had heard for a long time from my own mother and from my grandmother uh, Joseph's wife, and uh, so part of this story was was my, not only the manuscript which he wrote, but also my many hours of interviews, finding letters, spending time with my grandmother many years ago before she died, and with my mother, uh, many hours of interviews, just to piece together the story as best I could. Uh, and that was one of the most amazing stories that I think, um, you know, fate plays a big part of this, kismet, as I say in the book, of following that uh trail of breadcrumbs left by God to, to find your family. And, and that was part of it. In return from Siberia, your, your book, each chapter alternates back and forth between the story of your grandfather's life and the, you know, in the early 1900s in Russia, and then with your own modern 21st century family's life in Los Angeles. What, what are some of the unifying themes or parallels between the different time periods that, that you saw? Well, there's some really uh, 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 striking similarities. I, I would say, you know, when I wrote this, I wrote it to be this parallel narrative, um, the story of my grandfather and the story of his grandson, myself, a political consultant, running a political campaign for a Latina in, in Texas and an undocumented, formerly undocumented immigrant who was trying to become the first to get a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives. So naturally, the issues of immigration were taking uh, center stage, of course, as my grandfather was emigrating uh, through Ellis Island to America and facing his own set of discrimination. What was also interesting, of course, is that in 1918, when he arrived, I'm sorry, when he, was, he exp explained in 1918 the Spanish flu pandemic as he was uh, ironically courting my grandmother, Rose, at the time. And here we are experiencing in America uh, and around the world uh, the worst pandemic since that time and, and what it was like and the similarities of, of sort of living through that experience. Uh, of course, the issues that come out are, are central to what we see today, socialism or the left versus the center or the right, capitalism versus socialism. Now, socialism didn't mean what it means today. Uh, there are a lot of socialists back in those days, and my grandfather was one of them. Um, it would be a dirty word today to be a socialist 
today. But we did see in the presidential campaign, of course, Bernie Sanders running uh, against, for example, Michael Bloomberg, which I sort of thought was very similar to my Uncle Max, uh, who became came to America, became a very successful capitalist, almost betraying the cause. And so there was a real bitter sibling rivalry in this, which we saw manifest in the political campaign here in, in the presidential. Uh, so, and then the last, I think the theme that really hits home with everybody is that this, this book at its core is about family and it's about the enduring quality of family, how important family is and how important it is to be together and to find your family and to, um, learn as much as you can about family. So you'll see in the story how, whether it's um, Patricia Alvarado, who is the candidate running for Congress, and her uh, familia, uh, and the important intergenerational connection of her family as it relates to my family in modern day, my four kids, my wife, and of course, reflecting back on family and what it meant to my grandfather a hundred years ago. Well, the love that you have for your family is very evident in, in this, in this book and the Simon family, which is your, your family's alter ego has what they call MFD or mandatory family dinner each week. (laughs) And so I, I was wondering when I was reading the book, um, how did you feel when you learned about the somewhat irreparable conflict between your grandfather and his brother, Joseph and Max? Did that, uh, was that, Heart, somewhat heartbreaking for you, or did you already know pieces of that story? I knew pieces of that story um, because we always wondered why my my grandfather and and grandmother were relatively poor growing up. You know, through the depression, uh, he was a kind of a dreamer. He was a a poet and a writer and a union organizer, and and he was really all about fighting for those who. Uh, couldn't fight for themselves. People, workers who were immigrants who were being exploited in sweatshops. Um, that was his life, and that was his passion. Uh, his his brother became a very wealthy capitalist. Uh, he was a builder, and um, it was something that was just I always thought was really interesting. I, I asked my mom what was the relationship, and it was estranged. Um, she knew they're her cousins, but. They really, she would describe how going over to their home to play with the cousins, this beautiful, big, fancy home where they had servants and fancy cars, and it was just so foreign to her. Uh, But it wasn't a life that my grandfather wanted or agreed with. And so I think we see that today. Listen, the haves versus the have-nots. And so to me, as a political consultant, seeing where we are in the world today, um, that some things just never change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that income disparity certainly is something that um, that will sadly probably always be with us. At one point, your grandfather in the book says these themes I've come to realize are universal. In that way, I hope that my journey may serve as a roadmap for others. And, you know, we are always talking about that, how you need to know and understand history in order to learn from it and how to avoid falling into similar traps. Your grandfather ended up encouraging your, um, your I guess, would be great uncle Max to unionize his construction workers. But what is what a strange thing to arrive from Siberia after being isolated and then to somehow by, by a series of miracles, find your family in Chicago and then walk into this grand home that his brother now owns. It must've been really shocking. Yeah. And, and you, you can certainly feel 
the sense of betrayal uh, as little boys. They were, you know, follow their sister and wonder where she was going late at night and, and see how she was sneaking into a, a meeting of revolutionaries talking about um, how important it was to, um, to, to find freedom from the czar and to have rights for workers and how they pledged to each other, how they would um, never give up that struggle, never give up that fight. And here they were young kids dreaming and dreaming of a better life and a better world on, in very, very horrible circumstances. And then to later, after serving for 10 years in Siberia, ostensibly for crimes he didn't really directly commit, but for his brother's uh, um, revolutionary activities, only to find him in America having sort of, you know, sold out essentially to the, um, the, the ways that he had uh, always said he would fight against. So I think that was a very, very tough struggle. I will say, though, that there are, I try to give the perspective of both sides. Coming to America, everyone is seeking the American dream. And what that dream means is different for a lot of people. But mostly it means having the opportunity to uh, have, a, have a job, have the dignity of work and being able to take care of your family. And, um, you know, during very poor and difficult times, that's, a, that's such a, a gift to be able to give your children a better life than what you experience. So um, I think I give both sides of that, that uh, even Max's side to the story. And um, it's a struggle we see here, of course, in America. We should mention, too, that his sister, Sonia, who was the, the true revolutionary, she unfortunately died during the voyage over to the United States. Yeah, I, I spend a little time talking about, um, you know, the how, how challenging it was in those days to just jump on a ship with thousands of people and go across, uh, um, you know, the Atlantic to try to find America. Uh, and it was a harrowing travel. And of course, some people got very sick, very close quarters. Uh, you know, if you weren't in first class, you were probably piled together with a lot of people, many of whom might have been sick. And um, so that unfortunately is what occurred um, for his sister. And, uh, you know, it, it is a struggle that many families are experiencing today. Uh, certainly those who are refugees coming from very brutal countries, brutal regi regimes coming to America and um, often facing a lot of danger to get here, but with the hope that they can experience uh, what that, that incredible American dream that has um, been a beacon for people around the world through our 200 plus years of history. In your book, Beyond the Larger Themes, um, you know, that are social and origin and political. The reader then also follows these personal narratives of John Simon's modern day family. And each of them is being forced to deal with struggles of their own. So you flip back and forth between this epic struggle of your grandfather returning from Siberia. And then, you know, the lead character, John Simon, who is in essence, you, your alter ego. Um, he's, He's running a, he's the media advisor for this long shot political candidate that you had mentioned. And then his wife um, is dealing with this very challenging boss and she has to decide to walk away and start her own business. And all of the, the, the children are dealing with difficult issues, including the oldest one who has a relationship with a, with a student from Iran who ends up getting deported. So 
it's really, um, it's really quite a journey to follow each of them as well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, family is, as I said before, Carolyn, the core of this, this book and the story, all of our stories revolve around our family and we all, each of us are, um, you know, have, have a unique path that are often intersected by something profound that, that changes your life or moves you. And so in this circumstance, our family, um, it was this book. And Mm -hmm. as this book was being read, uh, chapter by chapter, as it was being translated, the stories of my grandfather, his struggles, his challenges, his triumphs, his tragedies, his romances, his all of these things uh, were impacting the lives of everyone in our family uh, because we were, you know, sometimes you, you look to the sky and you say, what should I do? What can I do um, in this difficult circumstance? And you, you just hope that some, something will touch you and, and inspire you to make the right decision. Well, in this circumstance, we literally had a roadmap. Uh, we had the experiences of, of, of my grandfather who was, making decisions, sometimes good ones, sometimes not so so good ones. Uh, but we were learning from that, every one of us, in terms of how that would impact decisions we would make. And mostly, it came down to courage. Mostly, it came down to being um, uh, just, just going for it. And I think sometimes you need that little bit of push to be able to move yourself forward in life. And this was the kind of uh, motivation that we all needed. So would you say that what you discovered about yourself from reading your grandfather's memoir was, was, was courage or did it change you otherwise in some tangible way? I think, I think it changed us. Uh, it transformed us in many, many ways, but, um, you know, I've always been a, a student of history and, uh, but you read books about other people's lives. And when you finally read the story of, some, of your own ancestor, as close as a grandfather, uh, it really touches you in such a profound way. I will say that, um, you know, I didn't have a grandfather growing up. And so it really was an opportunity to experience what that would be like to have those conversations. Hey, grandpa, what was it like to be um, around during World War One, or to experience uh, the Depression or whatever, and to be able to have answers to those questions it, it was really a remarkable journey to take. So I, I, I just, it, it did give me courage. It also gave me such insight into how things in our world are so different and yet often so very much the same. Well, you've been living in Los Angeles for many decades now after you finished college at the University of Iowa, but your career has primarily been in media and political campaign strategy. Did you ever think that you would be a writer, that you would publish a book? <laughs> well, I mean, I think everybody has a, a book in them and you just, you know, some people get an opportunity to write it. And this just seemed like too good an opportunity to uh, come across my grandfather's manuscript of a hundred years and finding out all of his uh, political activity. And given the fact that I'm a political consultant, it just seemed like a natural to write a parallel story. So I didn't necessarily think so, but I'd hoped one day I might get an opportunity to put pen to paper and, and write a book. But, uh, you know, when you go to the University of Iowa, which is really one of the premier writing schools 
uh, you, you are always inspired by the great writers who've come from there and uh, loved many of my classes, which I took from great writers and, and great lecturers. And I've always admired uh, people who could write a book. So I felt like someday I would do it. So I'm just so glad I got it done. If there'll be another one, we'll see. But I uh, was really excited to be able to do that. How did you find a publisher then? How, how, how did that work? How did you make that connection? Yeah, so I, w- I was, you know, pretty fortunate to to find someone, someone who uh, really helped me um, kind of navigate that world, someone who was, who had been an agent, someone who'd been, uh, in publishing and just someone in Los Angeles who, who felt like, uh, really excited by my story and wanted to help sort of follow it through to its eventual end and then see it hopefully get published. So, uh, putting it in front of, um, several publishers and Skyhorse publishing and distributed by Simon Schuster. I was so excited that they would take the book and not just take it, but publish it so quickly. Um, I've been told by so many that sometimes this takes years and years, but they were very excited by the story, uh, particularly its timeliness with the presidential election. And given that I'm a political consultant, uh, they felt like this would be a good opportunity to get this book out and talk about it in the context of a very, very contentious political uh, campaign. Well, your hometown of Rock Island, Illinois, is mentioned prominently in the beginning of the book. And I'm wondering how close the fictional John Simon is to your real self, to John Shalman. So I just had a few true or false questions. Uh, okay. As a so number one, as a junior in high school, you were the student representative to the Rock Island Milan School District Board. Was that true? True. And so I was wondering when I read the book um, about that. Though I think I think I saw a picture at some point in the middle of the book about that. So was this true that you advocated for a property tax increase to prevent teacher layoffs or larger class sizes while you were there? Hundred percent true. Well, and did you really ride your bike through the neighborhoods of Rock Island, distributing flyers? Well, you know, I was a. In addition to to pol- being a political uh, hack as a you know sixteen year old, I also delivered newspapers. So it was pretty easy to ride my bike and hand off pamphlets along with newspapers. <laughs> While you were at the you, the uh, University of Iowa, were you a political speechwriter there at all, or, or is that would you credit developing your interest in politics to your, your, to your time there? Yeah, it's all of these things are very true. And by the way, I want to shout out to my Rock Island High School class of 1982. I'm aging myself, but there you go. Um, love my love my school. Love Rock Island. All my experiences there. I, I hope that love came through in the book. Uh, but you know, certainly. My experiences going from Rock Island to Iowa City um, were just some of the greatest times of my life. And, uh, you know, I had gone to Iowa. I wasn't sure what I was going to do specifically. I was always involved in politics. Uh, My friends would tell you I was a school board rep. I was president of the Senate and um, and then went to Iowa and got very involved in politics because in 1984, the presidential campaign came through uh, and I decided to work for a U.S. senator named Alan Cranston, who was running for president and happened to be, as I said, from California, which is how I ended up in California uh, working for his U.S. Senate reelection campaign in 1986. 
So I got involved in politics in Iowa, uh, very active, very passionate, and decided that was going to be something I wanted to do in my life. Well, it really was a perfect fusion for you because Iowa, at least at least for now, we're still first in the nation um, in terms of our caucus preceding any of the other state elections. And then the University of Iowa, as you mentioned, is so well known for, for writing. Uh, most people are aware of the Iowa Writers' Workshop, but not all. But Iowa City is actually considered a UNESCO city of literature, which is somewhat of a quirky fact, but true. Well, I've been so kindly invited by one of my favorite bookstores in the world, Prairie Lights. Uh, when when the coast is clear of this um, horrible COVID epidemic um, pandemic, that um, to go and have a a reading there, and it'd just be kind of like uh, everything just coming home for me. So I, I, I'm also been invited by friends to come and, and do the same in Rock Island or anywhere in the Quad Cities. And I told them it only cost them uh, some Whitey's ice cream and some Harris. <laughs> well, that's pretty expensive. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just teasing. Yeah. You, you can't really come back to the Quad Cities without, without those two. Certainly a stop at, at Whitey's ice cream. Um, that, that's for sure. It's uh I, I miss my friends, but I do miss a few of my culinary hangouts, and those are some of them. So you mentioned Alan Cranston, who was a long shot presidential candidate, and then you also were an advisor back in the 1990s to Loretta Sanchez, and she was a long shot political um, candidate as well, who was successful in her campaign. And I was wondering, what is it about you, your your character, or your personality that makes you always support the political long shot or the underdog? I've just been, I think it's the, the athlete and the fan in me. I've just always been a sucker for the underdog. And maybe that's growing up being a Chicago Bears fan um, or, or, or for the, you know, the Chicago teams generally. Uh, and, and then when I came to Los Angeles, I adopted the Los Angeles Clippers who had the worst record in the history of the NBA the year I got here. Uh, I just am a sucker for the underdog. I always, my wife always remarked, you don't cry in sad movies. You cry in happy sports ending movies like Rudy or remember the Titans or Hoosiers. And I said, I don't know what it is. I love the underdog. I love the story where someone can take uh, a dream and turn it into a reality against all of the odds. So to me, that's a big part of my, my political life is, is being able to, to help the really great candidates who may not have the money, may not have all of the, um, you know, the support and endorsements that you would need to win, but we find a way, we just find a way. And, uh, and that story in this book was based on my Loretta Sanchez campaign. Uh, the Patricia Alvarado in Texas is actually Loretta Sanchez in Orange County, California. And that was a campaign that even Bill Clinton at the time said it was a shot heard around the world um, to win that election against Bob Dornan, who was famously sort of the right wing uh, poster child in Orange County, California. To have a woman, a Democrat, a Latina defeat him was was uh, a pretty remarkable uh, event at that time. And so I was just so happy to be a part of it and really wanted to try to tell that story. And I was able to do so through this book. Well, John, congratulations on the recent publication of your novel, Return from Siberia. And it was so great talking with you. Oh, so great to uh, speak with you. And thank you again 
for having me. Rock Island native John Shalman's book, Return from Siberia, published by Skyhorse Publishing, can be purchased in major bookstores or from online retailers. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities, for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal. Thank you.